Well, it is good to see you all here this morning uh, and actually being here looking good. Uh, I actually, uh, in all honesty, was a little concerned after last week uh, as we opened up the book of Ecclesiastes, just talking about how meaningless and utterly meaningless life is, that I just had this vision of you over the last week, just kind of lounging on the couch in your boxers, you know, like Dorito crumbs all over you beer cans on the floor, just like, who cares, you know, yelling at the dog, it's all meaningless, <laughs> just dust in the wind, uh, and so I'm glad you all came back to uh, find out hopefully a little more meaning uh, than the introduction of Ecclesiastes gives us, and so um, we did, that's what we did last week, we took a, a bird's eye view of what the book of Ecclesiastes seems to be all about, and uh, that's what you find. About 99% of every word that you read in Ecclesiastes talks about basically the, the meaninglessness of life and how that everything under the sun uh, really in the end uh, will mean nothing. However, the other 1% of Ecclesiastes does hit at what the meaning of life actually is. Uh, and really that 1% is what the book of Ecclesiastes is all about. And then from, re- from there really that 1% uh, of meaning sheds light and brings to light what the other 99% really is to be about and makes sense of it all. And so we're going to take a a deeper dive into that here this morning. And so I invite you to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes in your Bible or uh, maybe use the one in the pew rack in front of you. And uh, as you turn there, we're going to be bouncing around quite a bit, um, looking at uh, what we're going to look at. And uh, if you don't want to do that, you can certainly follow along with the passages on the screen. And so we're going to take a deeper dive over the next four weeks into various topics, topics like um, our time. How do we manage the time and steward the time that God's given us well? We're going to look at the topic of aging. Uh, We're going to look at how do we gain wisdom over that time and over our years together. And then also, today specifically, the topic we're going to look at is the topic of work, of work and the achievement that comes with it. And so as we look at work and achievement, It is a theme that is all throughout Ecclesiastes. It keeps bouncing up uh, through all its chapters. uh, As really you could find that what the writer of Ecclesiastes did, Solomon, is he, you could say, took on the ultimate uh, experiment in lifestyle design. That's a, a phrase I've heard around lately, that Solomon, who wrote Ecclesiastes, his job, his vocation, his work, was to be the king of a country. He was the king over all Israel, as Solomon actually succeeded his father, King David, uh, to become, you know, David and Goliath David, to become king over Israel. And so Solomon, as a result of all of his work and all of his achievement, uh, the topics we're going to explore today, he used then uh, the results, the fruit of that, his status, his wealth, uh, and thus the opportunistic things before him to literally try everything under the sun. Uh, and we talked about some of those things last week. But as a result of all that, he then drew a conclusion. He was in a place that he had tasted and tried it all, that he was in a position that he could then conclude, okay, this then is the meaning of life. In fact, Solomon lived his life in such a way, it says in chapter two, verse 10, that he says, I denied myself nothing. I, decided, or I denied myself nothing that my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. Uh, which afforded him, um, again, was afforded him this life experiment by all his work. He says, my heart took delight in all my labor and all my work, and this was the reward for my toil. In other words, I did work hard, and I enjoyed working hard, and I enjoyed the, the fruits of that, the achievements that came as a result of that. Yet, even though I enjoyed all that, in the long run, verse 11, when I surveyed all that my hands had done, 
and all that I had toiled to achieve, in the end, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. And so that's what we want to look at today. We've got this, you know, work and achievement. It seems to be a good thing, but in the long run, it doesn't necessarily amount to everything. And so uh, as we look at our own lives and what work and achievement can get us, that's what um, Ecclesiastes and, frankly, the rest of Scripture is going to reveal, what it can get us and, frankly, what it cannot get us. And so we see in Scripture that, first of all, as we start to kind of line this out, that when it comes to work and achievement, that actually to an extent, it does satisfy. That work and achievement does to an extent satisfy because God actually created us for work. He created us to work and achieve. Um, You could say it's actually a God-given itch that was given to us to scratch at creation itself. We see this in Genesis chapter one. It says that when he created us, uh, it says God created mankind in his own image. Uh, In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and, fill the earth and subdue it. And that word subdue it or subdue means to literally rule over or to be responsible for or to govern, to work the land, if you will. Uh, and so Genesis goes on and says, it was so. And God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And so to illustrate how uh, God wired us for work to some extent, how many of you, uh, by a show of hands, live and die by to-do lists and lists? Like, you, you don't live without a list. Yes, okay. How many of you on those lists will write something on the list that you've already done, even though you don't need to do it, just so you could check it off to say that you did it? Okay. Now let's unpack that for a second, because... Functionally, there is no pragmatic value in writing something to be done that has already been done because it's meant to be a trigger, a reminder, a cue for you to do something, but there's no necessity for that if you've already done it, unless there was some type of emotional or mental payoff, some sort of satisfaction that was gained in representing that achievement, that little trophy of a check mark. Well, Physiologically, there actually is, within our brains, a little shot of dopamine that is released in our brains that gives us that little high when we cross something off or check something off our list because God designed us, wired us in such a way to work and to enjoy that achievement. And so really, it's interesting that we really were created to an extent for work. And then from there, secondly, It's not just, okay, so that's just the way we're wired, that's just the way it is. We see as God at creation created us, he didn't just look at it and say, okay, that's just the facts of life, that's just the way it is. No, he looked at it and said, it is very good. And so with that created order, the gifts and the abilities for us to work and to achieve um, actually is to be seen as a blessing of God. It's a good thing from God that we can work and achieve. In fact, uh, Solomon, even with his chapter after chapter of pessimistic rant, he does actually come up for air a little bit, you could say, in recognizing this in chapter 5, verse 18 through 19. He says, this is what I observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in the toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life that God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, 
When God gives someone wealth and possessions, those achievements, and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, for this too is a gift of God. And so, as we read this and we understand that work is both a uh, way in which we are created as well as the opportunity to be a blessing from God, it's actually, you know, a pretty encouraging message in the midst of a glass half-empty book that we've been looking at. Um, and so with that, here's the question I have, that if we were created for work and that drive within us is part of who God's wired us to be and the achievement and the work is both a blessing and a gift from God, why then all this talk then of meaninglessness when it comes to those things? Well, we have to remember that when we read, uh, in particular, wisdom literature, and even more specifically, the book of Ecclesiastes, in that context, this genre of literature and scripture, that um, the context is meant to be understood as a whole. That actually the little verse numbers and chapters, those were meant as a reference system that didn't come to hundreds of years later uh, after scripture was you know, put together. And um, we, it sometimes misses things, and it causes us to read a verse out of the context of the whole. And so really, when you read a verse in Ecclesiastes, whether you could say to the positive or to the negative, um, we don't want to read that in isolation. We want to understand that within the context of the whole, of what Solomon is trying to achieve by writing the entire book. And this is what Solomon is trying to achieve. He is trying to achieve, really, the difference, you could say, between, and it looks like the slide already beat me up there, that's okay, a blessing of God and the Lord who is God. Solomon is, if you want to sum up Ecclesiastes, he is revealing the difference between a blessing of God and the Lord who is God. So that, we will not slip into that first word, idolatry. As Pastor Wayne revealed last week, um, uh, he wanted to uh, encourage us in our understanding of our approach to life that we would not slip into idolatry, slip into turning what is intended to be a blessing of God, you could say, and turn that into a small g God or an idol. That we would not turn what was intended to be a good thing from God and turn it into an ultimate thing that replaces God, that ends up lording over us rather than the Lord our God. And so that's what idolatry is. It is taking a good thing from God and making it our ultimate thing. And scripture reveals the difference between these two, this blessing of God versus um, you know, not making a God. In James chapter one, verse 17, uh, he says, every good and perfect gift, it is from above, coming down from the Father. And so these good things that we get in our life, they are blessings, they are gifts of God, and they're meant to be enjoyed. However, when we turn that blessing of God into a small g God, we take that good thing and we turn it into an ultimate thing, we slip into, as it says in Romans one twenty five, we exchange. We make a bad trade. We exchange the truth about God for a lie. And we worship and serve created things rather than the creator, who is to be forever praised. Amen. And so for some of us, our idol is work and achievement, where we have taken our talents and our abilities from God intended to be gifts and blessings from God that we are meant to enjoy, and we have made them, instead of just a good thing from God that which we thank him for, we have turned it into our ultimate thing in which we live for, we strive for, we dream for, we worry for, and it just consumes every bit of who we are. And um, in the end, if that is our end, we will be sadly disappointed. Uh, as Solomon speaks about this as well, um, 
Again, we looked at this verse a little bit ago, chapter two, verse 10, he says, my heart took delight in all my labor and, not, and, and this was the reward for my toil. I was able to take delight in it, but it was only temporary because verse 12, when I then surveyed all that my hands had done, what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. So what Solomon is going on to say is that in light of all this work, in reflection of making so much of his life about work and the achievements, it says, uh, if you drop down to verse 17 or follow on the screen, he says, as a result of giving so much of my life to this, he says, I hated life. Because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated the things I toiled for. And so now he's moving into the achievements that came as a result of his work. He says, I hated all the things that I toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish, yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with, do, do it well, it says, with wisdom and knowledge and skill, but in the end, they must leave all that they own to another who has not toiled for it. And that's the truth of us all. We gotta leave it all behind. It's the old adage, you can't take it with you when you're gone. You're gonna leave it behind. Maybe you have a say in who that goes to, maybe you don't, um, but in the end, um, we can't take it with us when we're gone. Uh, in fact, there's an old preacher joke that illustrates this, uh, recognizing that, you know, in heaven, the, the streets are paved with gold, uh, Revelation 21, 21. And it's a joke about a guy who actually found a way to smuggle in some of his earthly possessions and his earthly riches into heaven. And so he shows up to heaven with this big bag of golden bricks that he had, that he had brought from earth. And so he gets to the pearly gates and St. Peter uh, gets and he, and, he, and he opens, Peter opens up the bag and looks at the guy and says, why'd you bring asphalt? Again, <laughs> Like I said, corny old preacher joke, but <laughs> it illuminates a point that for all of Solomon's achievements and wealth, uh, having more than we could ever know, uh, verse 21, he continues, this too is meaningless. It's a great misfortune because what do people in the long run gain for all their toil and their anxious striving? And I imagine when it comes to our work, there's some anxious strivers among us says, what do people get for all their anxious striving uh, for which they labor under the sun? All their days of their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. Some of you know this, that when you leave work, you don't leave work. It stays with you uh, in a way that's not appropriate or helpful or beneficial. And so all this, too, is meaningless. What Solomon is articulating um, even if you're, again, with all it says with skill and wisdom, even if it's going well for you in your work and your achievements, Solomon is articulating what modern day psychologists call success depression. Success depression, it's what happens when you actually do achieve the success. You do achieve all that there is to achieve under the sun and the letdown that it actually ends up being in the long run because it doesn't fully satisfy in the way that you expected and you recognize you had given so much to it only to find yourself not where you thought you would be. Um, a New York Times headline uh, actually captured this reality in a, in a quote from Troy Aikman. 
Uh, Troy Aikman is a former NFL quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, uh, who was the overall number one draft pick uh, for the NFL in 1989. Uh, he then became the number one quarterback in the NFL in America's number one most watched sport, American football, and arguably America's most idolized profession, uh, professional athletics. Uh, and at the time of the article, um, was playing, well, he always played, he played for the Dallas Cowboys at the time, was the number one team, uh, both in real life and in Madden football, for those of you who know what I'm talking about, a little Super Nintendo 1990s action, okay. Um, and at the time, he, uh, at this article, had won uh, two back-to-back -back Super Bowls, which would eventually be three, 93, 94, 96, and Aikman, as a result of it, raised this question that was this headline in the New York Times. He simply asked, is this all there is? Is this all there is? As really, um, at the time of this, team psychologists actually had concluded that Aikman was clinically depressed. And uh, really, what Aikman is reflecting, maybe albeit unknowingly, are the words of Solomon, the words of Ecclesiastes. Uh, as he goes on to say, and actually, I, I think quite well, um, Aikman says, I'll never forget when I was 12 years old. I couldn't wait until the day I was 16 and could drive a car. I thought that'd be the end of life's problems. I mean, you can drive, what is there left? And then I turned 16 and realized there were still problems. Well, I kind of said the same thing after my first Super Bowl. You think once you win it, all your problems are solved professionally. But I've won two now and it hasn't solved a thing, not a thing. As Pastor Wayne pointed out last week, no matter how good a point we can get our life to under the sun, in the long run, if that's all we're living for, that is only living for what he said was the horizontal. If our view of our work and our achievement is only the things that we can gain in this life, in the horizontal, then in the long run, without any eternal meaning, it will be Havel, the Hebrew word that we see over 30 times in Ecclesiastes, the word for meaningless, which literally means a vapor, a wisp of air with this idea that whatever we have is here today and gone tomorrow. However, if we can take uh, what the world views as, again, as just a horizontal reality, our work and achievement, and we can actually take it and we can turn it vertically, if we can take what's horizontal and turn it vertically, our perspective of what's otherwise just under the sun, as uh, Solomon talks about everything under the sun, and we can view it vertically in line with worship of God, well, then all of a sudden, we can find true meaning, eternal meaning in our work and our achievement. As thirdly, again, since our work is not to be our small g God, it's supposed to be a blessing from God, we can understand our work as an opportunity to worship God. That work can actually be worshipful, work as worship. That, again, because really that is the end game. Worship, as, as Lacey said during our worship time together, that with amongst things that are meaningless, that is what has meaning. That is what is our purpose. Uh, and frankly, that's the whole point of Ecclesiastes. Uh, it's that 1% that we find in Ecclesiastes that makes sense of the 99% that it would otherwise be meaningless. And this is how Solomon says it. That regardless of the endeavor, regardless of the work that we find ourselves doing here horizontally under the sun, 
that we can make it vertical in Ecclesiastes 12, 13. He says this about everything. He says, now that I've tried everything, now that all has been heard, here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God. And by fear God, Solomon means, and throughout scripture, it means to be really in utter awe of who God is and surrender to his power and to his sovereignty, uh, or in other words, worship. Worship God and keep his commandments, follow him, love him, for this is the duty, or you could say this is the purpose, this is the meaning of all mankind. And so this is the point, that we are here to worship. We all worship something, but we're here to worship God and not a small g God. And so the question is, how, how do we, this is kind of ethereal at this point, how do we um, actually take uh, what's otherwise horizontal work and make it vertical for God? How do we worship with our work, um, you know, and not make it an idol or something? And, for, and we haven't even touched this, but, you know, this is easy maybe for those of you who are, or not easy, but it's making sense for those of you who love what you do and maybe are tempted to make it an ultimate thing. But what about for those of you who are like, man, I could have wrote Ecclesiastes, I've been saying for years my job is pointless. This is, this is not new information for me, Pastor. Okay, let me say this, that whether you love what you do, hate what you do, whether you find meaning in it or not, um, here's the opportunity um, that we have to worship God in the midst. Scripture talks about this. Uh, two places that we're gonna look at, Colossians real quick. The Apostle Paul, um, it's gonna be on the screen. The Apostle Paul, he's actually writing to a church where uh, the context is a group of people who were at the lowest part of the totem pole when it came to the org chart where they were at. Uh, really what they were were indentured servants, meaning they were literally having to work themselves out of a debt as servants at the complete mercy of their, of their bosses, of their masters. And so the Apostle Paul encourages this audience um, and, and reminds them of this vertical, eternal reality in the midst of what is probably not a great temporal, horizontal work uh, setting for them. Colossians 3.23-24, Paul reminds them, reminds us all that whatever you do, whatever you do, meaning you love, like, or hate what you do, find meaning in it or not, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord rather than for human masters. Since you know, as followers of Christ, you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward because in the end, it is really the Lord Jesus Christ whom you are serving, who you are living for. And so the Apostle Paul says that if you worship the Lord, if you honor God with what you do, whatever you do during the day, with a vertical view, a vertical perspective on this horizontal work, you will be blessed for it. And then Jesus actually himself in uh, his Sermon on the Mount, when it comes to our earthly work, goes on to talk about our achievements and how we can make those not just horizontal, but vertical as well. Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. In other words, don't just live for the horizontal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, live and achieve for the vertical, for treasure in heaven. And so, uh, again, I'm still not sure how helpful this is beyond making the case. And so in an effort to make this very, very practical, um, that as you leave today, hopefully you can do something about taking your horizontal work and achievement and making it vertical as you go that maybe you wouldn't had you not walked in, um, that I want to remind this, this applies to everybody. Uh, whether you're salaried or you punch a clock, whether you, you know, stand at a 
counter or sit at a desk or sit in meetings or sit in a tractor, whether you stand at an assembly line, whether you work from home, whether you're a stay-at-home parent, whether you're uh, just entering the workforce, or I would say whether you're unemployed, currently unemployed, or, or maybe even retired here today. It doesn't matter because whatever you do, whatever you find yourself doing within these days, this is what's going to apply to you. Um, again, whether you love or hate what you do or find meaning or not, whatever you find on any given day and whatever you do, this is how you can practically take the horizontal and make a vertical. First, first, pray. Pray that God would take this otherwise horizontal reality and reveal to you the vertical opportunity you have for him uh, to worship. Now that sounds real churchy and I'm gonna help bring that down a little bit. Uh, but really what you're doing is asking for a perspective, a paradigm on how you face everything you do. You wanna have his eyes, his lenses, in the way in which you approach uh, anything you're approaching that day. And so on an even more pragmatic level, what I would invite you to do, if you're not really sure how to pray for that, is I would invite you actually to pray uh, the Lord's Prayer. Pray the Lord's Prayer over your day at work. I do this almost every day. Um, and again, it's Jesus' prayer, so it's probably gonna be pretty good. Uh, and that really, if you slow it down and you take each line, uh, you realize how powerful and, and kind of transcendent and holistic this prayer is in covering every area of our lives. And so, real quick, we know this prayer, many of us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Okay, that just starts off with reminding us who our big G God is in light of a temptation maybe to make our worker achievement a small G God. We're recognizing that God is God. From there, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, horizontal, as it is in heaven, vertically. So that's a direct prayer on that matter. Uh, give us this day our daily bread. Um, I love this one. I think this is my favorite line in the Lord's Prayer because it's just this idea of, man, no matter what we're facing in a day, whether boring, good, bad, or in between, or hard or difficult, it's this understanding that whatever I need to get through this day, God, I'm gonna trust you to provide for it. You're gonna give me what I need. You're, you are my providence. Your grace is sufficient. Your grace is enough to help me face whatever it is I gotta face this day. Your daily bread, um, your daily providence. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Um, which other translations say, and appropriately, forgive us our sins or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass or sin against us. And it wouldn't be hard to, or stretch it all to bet that in more cases in the room than not, there is someone in one way or another related to your work that you need God's help to forgive. And so ask God's help for that. Ask him to set them free of that emotional and that spiritual debt that you have them in, and then recognize, and I don't wanna get a whole sermon on forgiveness, but recognize that the reality is, is that when you forgive someone else, when you set them free of that debt, in the end, it's really you who is being, being set free. It's you who is being let go and, and finding the freedom in that forgiveness. And so ask God's help prayerfully to help you forgive in the way that he has forgiven us. Um, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So many ways in which this could apply uh, to everyone and everyone. Maybe it's uh, ethics in your place of business. Uh, maybe it's just boundaries, um, keeping appropriate boundaries between the opposite sex and uh, maybe a temptation uh, setting for you at your place of work. And really what this means when it says lead us not into temptation is not the idea that God might lead us into temptation. It says in James that God can tempt no one. He, he's not tempted by evil, but really literally it means lead us through those temptations. That These temptations are gonna come. We're not gonna be free of temptation, but we can trust God. He says he'll always provide a way. Every time, 
Uh, it says somewhere else in the Bible. I can't remember exactly where. He'll always provide a way, it says, for us to stand up under those temptations. He will always provide a way. And so pray that God will lead you through those temptations so that in the end, we might be, as it says, delivered from any evil that we might face. And then lastly, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Really, that's that ultimate vertical reminder of what Ecclesiastes 12, 13, that we want to fear and worship God, recognizing that in this horizontal, in this temporal world, all of whatever we do is ultimately, again, it's for the vertical. It's for his glory. And now how we do that, we do it by God's power, not in our own. And really, we're doing it all to further his kingdom. That's why we're here. That's, that's whose kingdom we're here to build. And that's the question we always have to face, particularly on this topic. When it comes to our work and achievement, whose kingdom, whose kingdom are you ultimately building? Are you, are you just building your own little horizontal one, your own little work and achievement and treasure here on earth? Or are you turning it vertically and are you turning um, your work into an opportunity to build God's kingdom wherever you are at? Okay, and so um, that's the first thing is you, is you can pray very specifically for God to give you that paradigm, that perspective, and whatever you do horizontally, he will give you a vertical opportunity within your work. And the way in which you'll do that most often will be secondly, that whatever you do, wherever you're at on a given day, remember you're not there by accident um, because Jesus has you there to be wherever you are as, as Jesus says, salt and light. As a follower of him, it's your job, it's your responsibility to be, um, to be to his representative, to be salt in life, to literally, that's what it, when Jesus says, he says, you are the salt of the earth, he's saying, you are, you are the flavor of Christ. You are the flavor of me wherever you are, wherever you find yourself standing on that one by one square foot of real estate that God has you on the planet on any given part of a day, it's your responsibility, your opportunity to be salt and light and to represent him as he goes on to say, again, still Sermon on the Mount, that you are the light of the world. And that as the light of the world, you don't hide yourself under a bowl, you don't keep that light hidden, but instead, Jesus has put it on a stand where you can give light to everyone who is present. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they might see your good deeds, and as a result, glorify your Father in heaven. And so, that's what we're here to do, but we also recognize we can't do that in our own strength, and so that brings us back to prayer. So pray and that you would see the vertical and live that out by being salt and light wherever God has you. And so that, that is the meaning. That is the meaning of your work. That is the meaning of your achievement. And frankly, regardless of the topic we were looking at today, it is always gonna be the meaning of our life, that we are to worship God in whatever we do. And so to seal our time here uh, together this morning, um, we're gonna um, participate in uh, this memor memorial, you could say, that Jesus left us called communion. That he wanted, and so if you are serving communion here this morning, I invite you to go prepare for that. Um, that we would be reminded that whatever we face in the horizontal, that that's always gonna be tethered to the vertical reality. That really, you could say, Jesus made the ultimate vertical leap, and he literally left his place in heaven to come here on earth to live, to die eventually, um, through his broken body and his shed blood, which he invited us to remember by taking bread, uh, which represents his broken body, and by drinking of a cup, which uh, represents his shed blood. All that we would do what? Remember. He said, do this in remembrance of me so that you might not forget in the midst of the horizontal lives that we all live every other hour of our day, that we would tether that to the vertical reality of what was made possible by Jesus Christ. 
And so as we do that, uh, I'm going to invite you that as you remember him, um, kind of some, I guess, pragmatic instructions here a little bit, that if you typically participate in communion among us, um, and again, everyone's welcome. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're welcome to participate. Um, if you typically participate by, um, you know, maybe bowing your head and closing your eyes, uh, we're going to invite you actually uh, today to participate by taking the emblems as they're passed and to participate and reflect actually with your head up and your eyes open as um, we reflect both on the words of the song that we're going to hear and the video that accompanies it that uh, is gonna reveal, again, just the beauty of God's creation, but that we would not worship created things, but the creator himself in the midst of it. And so we invite you to do that as you participate in communion this morning. And uh, so with that and to that end, I invite you to pray with me. Father, we recognize um, that everything and anything that we have, good or bad, or maybe it, we think it's good, but if it's an idol, then it's really bad anyway. That everything we have in this horizontal earth um, is an opportunity uh, to turn it vertically, uh, to recognize um, the uh, eternal relationship that we have with you and the way in which you want to work uh, in the details of our life as a result. So here in these next few moments, we remember how that was made possible, uh, that the reason we're even here today is because of the sacrifice of you sending your one and only son who gave his life um, so that we could have life. And so we remember that, we remember him as uh, we take the bread and take the cup. And of course, with that, we also remember uh, today specifically the prayer that he taught us to pray. And so we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.